All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Intercom Oil & Gas podcast. Thanks once again for joining us. I'm Glenn Parrott, and I'm joined by my co-host and managing director of consulting services here at Intercom, Aaron Vanderford. Aaron, hello. Hello, hello. Thanks again, uh, you know, uh, for being here again for everyone. Uh, for today's podcast, we wanted to change things up a little bit. Uh, for the fact... For the past few podcasts, our listeners uh, and you have been really introduced to Intercom and you know, heard our, our views and our perspectives on the oil and gas industry, current activities and news and what we're seeing. But today, uh, I'm pretty excited because for the first time, we've asked our uh, first guest to come into the studio so that we could get his perspective on the industry. Um, and it's a perspective not only based on his vast experience in energy investing, but also his experience on the operator side of the equation. You, you, you hold a unique position between the two. And um, he also have, he has a view from the board and uh, what concerns board members deal with. And so we thought they'd be wholly additive. And so joining us today is Kevin Andrus. He's the CFO of GMT Exploration. Good, yeah. af good afternoon, Kevin. Thanks for being here and welcome. Thanks, Glenn. It's a pleasure to be here, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be here. So thanks for thanks for the invitation. No, and 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 that uh, you came here on short notice. I appreciate. Well, it's it's an honor to be the uh, first outside guest for the uh, Intercom podcast. I was just going to say, do we have to get a plaque for this, or you know, another uh, another thing for your resume? Exactly. At least a plaque. At least a plaque. So, <laughs> how about a business card sculpture? That, that that works too. Okay. So that, that's a that's a uh, good good prize. I was going to say, leave us thirty five of those bad dogs, and we'll get you something <laughs> cooked up, some type of rig. But uh, you know, and Kevin, just so you're aware, the you know we're we're four podcasts in. Um, background has been Aaron and I sort of going through this whole dialogue of Entercom sitting in this intersection between the oil and gas industry and the capital markets and and this is just our views but really what's interesting for for me and and why we wanted you to have you here is because you really sort of embody that um at both levels of uh you know you've been on the buy side mm -hmm. extensive career there and you're also on the operator side and you, you hold this unique position of being able to kind of also speak towards uh, what boards are interested in. and I think that that's going to be a value add for for our listeners here today so um, you, you know, that was the, the premise behind this. So again, thanks for being here. Fantastic. So yeah. now before we get too far down into this and your bona fides, as it were, what are your thoughts on Chevron and Anadarko, uh, the, the big news of the week? Yeah, I, th I think it's a great deal for, uh, Anad um, for Chevron. I think they're buying uh, a fantastic suite of assets. And, and I think it's, a, it's an indication or it's a... Um, uh, sort of a picture of what's happening in the marketplace. You know, you've seen, uh, and, and, and we haven't seen a whole lot of public-to-public M&A -public, um, activity over recent years, but, but we have lately. And I think what's going on, I think with uh, multiples uh, in the marketplace at uh, uh, historically low levels, I, I think that's going to be driving more public-to-public M&A activity. And so if multiples stay where they are in a healthier commodity price environment, uh, I think you're going to see more of it. Were you surprised at all 
when that news came down? Uh, no, you know, Anadarko's been rumored to be uh, taken out for a number of years, and okay. so I think it was only a matter of time. Um, um, you know, I think we, we heard that there may have been a competing bid from, uh, from Oxy. Oxy, yeah. Yep. And so, and so, no, it's not surprising. I, they've got a strong suite of assets, and so um, um, with the valuation that Anadarko was trading for, I think it was only a matter of time. Yeah, we talked a little bit last week, when the, or earlier this week, I should say, that this was kind of maybe a, a healthy M&A versus some of the things that we've seen on the corporate side earlier uh, in, or later in 2018, where there was, you know, corporates getting together to fix a balance sheet or something like that. Mm -hmm. This was a potentially multiple bidders, saw an undervalued opportunity, a good suite of assets, and was able to be additive instead of necessarily having to fix something. And I, I think that we kind of thought that that should be a positive for not not only the, the space, but kind of an eye-opener for investors. Um, being on the buy side, do you, do you agree with that or no? Yeah, no, I do. I do agree with it. Uh, um, there's, you know, there's going to be tremendous cost synergies. And, and I think it's more of a, you know, there's a transition uh, by the majors from offshore and large international projects to uh, being able to um, um, bolster and augment their their onshore uh, asset base, and so I think um, Anadarko can check a lot of boxes at a reasonable price for for many of these guys, and and I think you're going to see I, I'm I'm more optimistic about public to public M and A than I am so you know so call it um, uh, public to private. I think there's a probably a larger big ask spread between. Um, PE-backed firms and uh, what companies are trading for in the marketplace today. You know, maybe you see some private-to-private -private transactions. Um, there's cost synergies to be had uh, for portfolio companies of, of larger uh, PE firms. And so uh, I think you'll see an active M&A market, and it's probably a unique time where you, like I said, you see more active, more M&A activity in the public market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. More to come. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of get to it a little bit, uh, uh, with regards to what you're currently doing, just, you know, cover that over, uh, tell us a little bit more about GMT Exploration. Yeah. So GMT Exploration is a, it's a private oil and gas company based here in Denver. Uh, we have, uh, current operations in Wyoming. Uh, it's a legacy. We have a legacy gas asset up there, uh, with some horizontal activity or opportunities, uh, that we're pretty excited about. Um, we have uh, operations, um, or, or we're, we're, uh, we have prospective operations up in uh, northwest Alberta, and we have a position here in the DJ Basin um, east, of, east of Denver and sort of south of the airport. So. And your role there? So I'm the CFO. Um, we've uh, sort of a, a, we're a smaller shop, a great group of individuals who've been very successful generating value over uh, really since the inception of the organization. So I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to join a, a very strong and good team. So Right on. Yeah, and that's, you know, we talk about, you know, now you've got this experience, you're on the corporate side of the equation, mm -hmm. you've really sort of been involved with it for you know, several years, but um, you've also had a, an extremely successful career as an energy investor spanning initially long only and then certainly the hedge funds. Um, but before we even kind of get to that point, uh, tell me first how you ended up in energy. 
So, yeah. so there's this young kid, uh, Kevin, graduating from college, and, and you're like, man, energy's it for me. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so, uh, so my dad was in the energy industry, and uh, I saw, um, I mean, he, prior to the, uh, um, you know, to the crash in the 80s, it was, a, it was a great business to be in. There was, there's a lot of camaraderie in the business. Uh, and so it, it, it always fascinated me. You know, at the same time... So you um, had that background, that knowledge of generally that, the importance right. of energy. Exactly, exactly. And um, and then, but going through college and, and sort of growing up, I always uh, was fascinated with Wall Street. And so um, the industry or the the, the uh, career path I chose was sort of the intersection of, of those two loves, I guess, if you will. Yeah. So, and so I was fortunate uh, to uh, come out of, out of college and get a job uh, with Invesco Funds. Uh, that eventually led me on to the, uh, ener- the, the team that ran the um, energy and, and gold funds. And so um, um, it was a, 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 a t- um, um, it was a, it was a fund that had uh, tremendous success. Uh, it was led by a very smart guy and, and uh, was fortunate to, to learn from him. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, you know, generally, was there anyone, you know, early on in your career, let's just call it, you know, even if, I don't know, maybe perhaps before Invesco, that really influenced you early on? Anyone kind of stand out? You know, I, I'd say... Not, other not than, from other a, than your father? Yeah, not from an, not, not from an investing standpoint, uh, per se. Um, that I've met, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of very, very smart people and um, have, have learned a lot from them. And so, um, uh, so I'm blessed in that way. You know, I think as a, I go back to my intern days and, and uh, uh, worked with um, oil and gas, I'm sorry, with, um, um, with a, a magazine that was uh, um, uh, focused on investing in the space. And so had that exposure, uh, heard Tom Petrie speak earlier, uh, or very early in my career, and, and uh, I was very impressed by him. And so, so you know, bits and pieces, yeah, yeah, you know, bits and pieces here and there. So, right on. See, had you asked me, I would have been, oh, my wife. Yeah, <laughs> very influential. My wife has always been very supportive through my through my. Well, that's life, good. Those, so. those are two of our very important podcast listeners, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> dude, you got to cover that. <laughs> um, and and so at Invesco. Uh, they had all the sector funds, certainly energy was one of them. And then Invesco, this no-load mutual fund shop, merges and gets into business with AIM. Mm-hmm. So how did, how did that go? Um, yeah. It, you know, it was, an, it was sort of an interesting uh, uh, transition, but, but even to take a step back and, and, you know, go back to my days at Invesco. And Invesco was a unique shop in that they had uh, their – you know, long only diversified funds, uh, but we also had the sector funds. Uh, they're sort of two separate, you know, and, and more distinct investment um, um, directives. But we, we worked very closely across the sector team and very closely with the diversified portfolio managers. And so um, it, it provided us a unique perspective. Um, you know, if we, if I was in a, a you know, an energy-only shop at the time, I would have missed out on some of the perspectives I, I would have I've been able to gain from uh, folks in other industries as well as the long-only portfolio managers. And, um, 
you know, you get bits and pieces of information from everyone. So, so in looking, kind of going through your bio here, I mean, when I when I think of AIM and Invesco, or Invesco AIM, that that you, you kind of reached a point in your career where you had a choice. If I'm, am I wrong on that? No, where no, that's where you yep. had the opportunity to go down, well, quote unquote, opportunity to go down to to Houston. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I was I was offered, um, uh, you know, a, a higher level position down in Houston. It was a very, very difficult decision. Uh, AIM was a well-respected firm. Uh, but uh, if I was going to move my family at the time, there were other things going on. Um, I, it, I really wanted to sort of stay back and try and launch my own fund. And that had always been a dream of mine. And so I um, was able to see that, uh, that dream come to fruition. A lot of, um, a lot of effort uh, went into it. Um, a lot of things had to come together for it to work out. But uh, it was just a great opportunity and incredible learning experience. And so you did start that that fund, um, ran that for for what? How long was it? Did you have Colorado uh, Capital? Yeah, so uh, I think we were six six years into it. So, um, and what um, was the kind of strategy as you kind of I guess learned from what you had seen in prior that you wanted to implement on your your own side? Yeah, you know, um, I think. So I, I think from the perspective of investing in the energy space, there's there's um, both the macro drivers and, and the, um, the micro drivers, meaning at the company level. And wanted to try and put those together and develop um, performance that was successful regardless of the commodity price movements. And having a hedge fund allows you to do that um, uh, from a much easier perspective. And... Going from a long-only sector fund to a um, um, to a hedge fund, to a long-short hedge fund, it's it's different, and there's there's a learning experience that has to happen as you go through that process. But they are very similar. You're you're uh, in a in a sector fund. If you want to outperform, you have to uh, avoid the underperformers in, in the marketplace. Well, as a hedge fund, you get to be more active in that in that thought process. And so, um, so it was unique. I think we were uh, trying to provide strong risk-adjusted returns. And when we, um, when we ended up closing it up, uh, there were some issues outside of our control that, uh, that led to that. But I think our, our performance uh, spoke for itself, and, uh, and we were able to do that. So. Very cool. I, I, I have a couple other questions on before we kind of jump into the, the next part of your career. You obviously moved into to uh, a role as a portfolio manager at GMT Capital, but as you as you kind of have shaped your path and you, you had your own firm, were there some things that were consistent across companies that, hey, you know, I try to look at whether it's long short or long only or, or hey, I get to, to play more on this other side of the underperformers that you would kind of point to and did that change over the, the time of your career? Or were there some constants that Hey, as long as I've got this, then I can move on to the next thing. Yeah, that's good. that's a great question. I think, you know, there there are uh, themes in the marketplace that go in and out of style, but I think um, asset quality, balance sheet, um, management, manage, management's focus, uh, their ability to com- communicate their strategy to the marketplace. I think those things never go out of style, and uh, they're exceptionally important. Um, 
I think management teams that are willing to have and develop a strong relationship with the investor base um, is important, and you see it in the multiples over time. And so, but, you know, that being said, um, asset quality is, you know, asset quality and management are, are, are key to, um, to stock performance over the long, over the long term. So I, so I think those are very consistent themes throughout, you know, throughout my career. I'd say from an investing standpoint, process and discipline are the most important and sticking to those, um, even through very difficult times in the marketplace. Um, you know, I just from, from, from my own experience and from looking at others who are successful, th- those are the two, the two tenets, process and discipline. Mm-hmm. So. And I know I have a very strong opinion and bias on, on the, my next question. And so I, I won't okay. share it until <laughs> yeah. uh, it's probably a little self-serving knowing what Entercom does. But how important is, is did you find your time meeting with those management teams since management team was one of your criteria? There, there's new selection bias. And so I, I appreciate where the question's coming from, first of all. But there, there's, there's new idea bias that, that happens um, uh, with anything that you do. And, and it, it could be the commercial you saw on TV, but it's also true with the, the company you just saw. And so if, if a person is effective at telling their story, your, you know, your inclination coming out of that meeting is to go buy, 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 buy. And so it's part of that's kind of where discipline comes in. But at the same time, um, and, and I think you see it in this marketplace, there is a reluctance for management teams to travel and tell their story. Because, well, I, I don't know if anyone cares. You know what, at some point, and, and this gets back to what we were talking about from when we were talking about the uh, Chevron Anadarko deal, there are a few things that can turn stock markets around and, and get people to pay attention. There's a very tight correlation between WTI prices and stock prices in the energy sector. Um, you, you've seen a divergence, or you've seen that correlation break down over the last few months. And But at some point, there's going to be something, there's going to be a catalyst that gets those to converge again. And it you know, could be underperformance in other sectors, it could be people just recognizing the cash flow growth that's happening because of the commodity price, but it also could be M&A driven. If look, if if the market's not going to pay, if you can more efficiently and um, more cost effectively go out and buy assets than you can to to drill, then companies are going to do that, and it's going to create these opportunities. But there's going to be something that happens from a catalyst standpoint, and so so and the investor base is going to turn around and. So when they do, they're going to look for companies that they're familiar with. I mean, it's it, it's it's human nature to 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 go out and look for something that you're familiar with instead of, you know, coming down a, a valuation table or or uh, just reading through others' ideas. If if you've heard a story um, that's recent and that's up to date, that's that's probably going to be your first pick. Okay. <laughs> so, so, well, I, no, I, so I would I, encourage management I, teams to continue to get out and tell their story. Yeah, and, and that's just it. Is that you know I, I, I also appreciate well, you know where Aaron's coming from that, and I love hearing you know this information because it, it is important. I think that let me let me ask you this variation of this now. Some of the things that we get back from conferences occasionally is, yeah, you know, I just want to talk to long only guys. I don't want to talk to you know you hedge fund types. Yeah, for the obvious reasons, right? And maybe they're feeling that 
Um, it's, are, would they, is it detrimental for them to come talk to you at that point? Um, and anyone who buys your stock is beneficial to your cost of capital. And so whether it's a, it's a long only buying the stock or whether it's a, a, um, it's a hedge fund manager who happens to be short your stock, if he has to cover his position, uh, that, I mean, that's going to boost your stock price as well and, and lead to a better cost of capital. So I would continue to get out there and tell your story uh, because incre incremental buying in your, in your, um, uh, in, in, in your stock is going to be positive. So Okay. No, that's, that's so good. It's really right? across the board. So I don't think it makes it, sense to differentiate between the investors. You know, I, I would say that, uh, you know, there's stickier money uh, to be had at the um, – at the retail and high net worth and family office level. And so I think those types of investors are, 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 are great ads. Um, and you know, in addition to the, you know, larger long onlys. So. Gotcha. So from my perspective as, as a corporate guy now and a board member. Yeah. But before we get there, before I, and, and so no, sure. we've kind of gone through the, you know, the progression, right. From early on in your career and, um, through Invesco and then through your own experiences of standing up your own hedge fund. And now you've, you take us up to the next step here, which is, and Aaron kind of mentioned it, was GMT Capital. So yeah. you moved over there and, and uh, you know, tell us about that. Yeah, just uh, and I'll speak very generally uh, as a firm because they are a private uh, investment fund. But uh, I would just say it's it's run by a gentleman named Tom Clavis, who I have tremendous respect for. Um, but you were doing the same thing. You were focused. You were the PM of their energy book. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Exactly. Uh, um, Tom takes a very very long term approach in the way that he he invests. Uh, he's very process driven, uh, very thoughtful about the way he puts money to work. Uh, there was also an opportunity for me to uh, uh, to join a few boards there, and so that was uh, that was a great experience that we can transition into. But uh, did it change fundamentally your you know was it additive to your investment thesis that you had had prior, or 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 did it fundamentally change your, the way you looked at? I imagine it would be additive, but it, it was additive because there is a. There's a deeper dive at the company level, than, uh, and there were more resources available to us to be able to do that oh, okay. than uh, I think we were able to do at the at a at a two person you know two person shop hedge fund that we had before uh, to on on the on the investment side, and so yeah so there was a deeper dive level, um, uh, me being able to uh, to join uh, to join boards allowed me to uh, get deeper into the industry and understand it better. So what was that like for you? So, so now you're in this position, and you guys are, you know, certainly having larger stakes within firms, and to the point where you're now, hey, board membership is part of this deal, and now you're able to be on the board. And what was that like for you as you as you became more involved in that? Yeah, and I'd I'd say um, I'd say. It, we, we were never we, we would never sort of force our hand of of uh, for 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 me or anyone else at GMT to uh, to be on a on, on a board and so it was a uh, it was always an invitation. Yeah, well, I didn't mean to imply that. I, I no, guess no, sure. Just to just to sort of clarify. Fair, yeah, fair enough. Just to clarify, <laughs> and so, uh, but but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that as a 
as a an investor you don't get to see and so um, and so it's educational to see that um, f again from an investing perspective how things come together and it's and it's tough and it, it um, um, I have a lot of respect for those you know, even before I got into industry uh, or, or moved over to the corporate side it, it, it I gained a new respect for what it took to run and operate an oil and gas company it's it's tough and uh, there's a lot of work and effort that goes into it across the team and so that was very illuminating for me to see so along those same lines but what if we can let's dive let's open those boardroom doors what what are the main concerns that the board is looking at right now in the industry uh, from your perspective I, I think I, and I'll, I'll speak for myself sure. um, you know for me it's it's is it's always making sure that we're doing things the right way as an organization and, uh, and, and running the business the right way um, from a, a community standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, because if you get offsides in either one of those, you're, you're in trouble. And, um, and so I think, I think those two are paramount. You have to, you have to get along with the people who, who you work with um, and the communities that you work with, and, and that's, that's what I mean by that. Um, beyond that, it's it's making sure that uh, you have the right management team running the asset, uh, that they're um, effective in navigating a very volatile commodity price environment, uh, that you have a strong balance sheet that allows you to take advantage of opportunities uh, that arise, um, and and it's you know it's motivating those people uh, within the organization. Um, that you can have continuity in strategy, and I think that's very. I think those things are very important. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, okay, it. I didn't know if you were going to say or ask anything, but I, I was kind of curious. And you know, when we talk about the uh, you know primary concerns of the board, but some of the responsibilities. You know, yes, you 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 want to you know certainly be uh, acting in good faith, but you know you do have to tackle some. You know, challenging issues uh, certainly, and you know, risk management being one. Compensation, a lot of chatter, uh, at least that we're hearing in terms of, you know, from from the board. How do you guys look at compensation specifically? Is you know, to to balance GNA expense to performance of the team, and I just, I, I think I'm hearing more about that, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, and that's a challenge right now because you've got there's a lot of push from the investor base to. Uh, to lower compensation uh, at the C-suite level. And, you know, obviously part of that's, or a big part of that's being driven by the, um, uh, the performance in the equity markets by the oil and gas names. And so um, I think, I think it's, it's frustrating from the investor uh, standpoint to see large payout packages um, when, when stock prices are, you know, are down. Right. And so... And so that's a challenge, and so you, you saw a strong push into that, you know, last year, and and there's some carryover into this year. At the same time, um, with those flatter stock prices, you know, options um, haven't been that lucrative for management teams, and so you have to figure out ways to motivate the to motivate uh, the management team and to keep them engaged with the asset. And just for the reasons that we've talked about before, we want continuity of strategy, and so that's a challenge, and it's it's a um, uh, it's a balancing it's a balancing act uh, between the two. Um, there are you know firms like um, ISS and and right. Glass Lewis yeah. that uh, put out uh, 
sort of guidelines, but um, and, and and they'll put out recommendations or opinions on what individual companies are doing, and and um, sometimes I, th- they don't always follow logic, in, in my opinion, those recommendations, and gotcha. um, and um, they can be counter uh, counterproductive and counterintuitive. Uh, but at the same time, you have to pay attention to them and you have to be mindful, you know, of what you're doing as a board. Um, you're there to, uh, um, you're there for the shareholders. And so uh, we can never forget that. So, And so, you know, as we, as we kind of came into, to, to stay on this compensation side, and I remember, I think it was EOG was one of the first ones to change the way that their management was, the, the specific metrics that they wanted to incentivize their management team and, and started to put in this free cash flow or cash flow metric. Yeah. Whereas we were historically had this growth metric and, and you know, we've certainly seen that in the proxies and we've, we've seen all the proxies kind of getting out. As, as you kind of think of from a board perspective, how often would you identify things that you want to change or incentivize for a management team? What are the catalysts? Obviously a huge you know, going for a hundred plus oil down to twenty eight, that's a big catalyst. But yeah. what are what are some of the catalysts to kind of go back to maybe a growth? Is that gonna be driven from the board level? Is that gonna be investors? Is that gonna be something else? Combination of Yeah, and I th- I think you have to manage your company um for the long term. And um like I said, there are gonna be there are gonna be Things that come in and out of the out of favor from an investor standpoint, but um, I, I think if if I'm thinking about if I'm thinking about what's going to drive incentives more toward growth, it, it's going to have to be cash flow growth. I think there's and it and it'll be interesting to see if we've seen a permanent change in how the investor base is going to look at oil and gas companies. I think you saw a transition. Um, we're, we're very, you know, historically we've been very active in Canada. I think in, in, in Canada you saw a transition by the investor base probably back in 2014, 2015, more towards sustainable growth. It, it, you know, that, that sort of mentality has a bunch of different sort of names to it, or it's, it's, you know, it's called a few different things, but that's really what it's about. It's sustainable growth within or near cash flow. And so that, that mindset... And, and sort of that change in opinion, I think, is fairly is fairly strong. If we get in a more positive commodity price environment, I think you'll see uh, the capability for growth, uh, for higher growth rates out of companies, higher sustainable growth rates out of companies. Um, I don't know, maybe you add uh, or, or you, you shift some of those metrics uh, back uh, toward compensation and performance review. But I think it's I think it's going to really be more around sustainable growth and, and managing your balance sheet. Um, I, I see this I see this lasting for a while. I don't think it's going to be a passing fancy. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, did I answer I, Did I answer your question? Is that, uh, no, I think you answered. So. <laughs> it, was, it was perfect. No, I I, I tend to agree uh, along that line. It it seems like this this cash flow mantra and the sustainability and 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 wanting healthier companies. Uh, not only from from seeing some more generalist investors coming into this space who's used to seeing that and or expecting that in some other industries, I think that's going to stick around, and 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 I tend to agree with you. And so, you know, along that same line, you know, what role is the corporate social responsibility in this environmental 
uh, conversation uh, that we're seeing a lot, a lot of companies come out with information to the public. Some of that's being led by investors, groups like BlackRock saying, hey, we, we want to see this. Right. But how is that conversation going in the boardroom as well? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to what I said before. I think you need to, to make sure you play well with, with uh, uh, the interested parties around you, and that's the community and the regulators. And so, um, and at the same time, to your point, the investor base is, has become more active in that way. And so I think that is a, uh, on a go-forward basis, that's going to be a cost of, of, of doing business. And it's um, always making sure that you're doing at everything the right way um, at all times. And, but now you have to document it, and you have to let people understand how you're doing that. And, you know, I'll think about, you know, if I think about operating in Colorado here, there's a lot of sensitivity uh, about operating around um, neighborhoods and schools and, and uh, just people, you know, populations in general. Um, and so being able to communicate that your number one goal is to do things the right way, I think, is, is very, very important. And uh, th- there are some people you're not going to be able to, you know, convince that you have good intentions. Um, but I think if you can educate the general public that, that it's, it's higher on your priority list, um, it is the number one priority, uh, I think that's going to help you help your process. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's a healthy dialogue. I mean, we've spent a lot of time on 181, but it, I'm it's, a rural operator, Aaron. <laughs> everyone in the DJ now is a rural operator, we've decided. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's an important stakeholder that certainly plays a very big role in, in your cost of capital, if you if you think about it that way, absolutely, um, and it, it should be thought as so, and and so I, I really do believe that, um, I I think there's obviously both sides of it, but most of the industry is pretty genuine in what they're trying to put out put out to investors, uh, put out to the general public, and in, in what they're doing, and I think it's incredibly important that we're actually having this dialogue, and and it's one of those things to do it, and I think industry has been doing it. But now to tell people about it is is just as important. Um, and if I, I mean, I can look, I can sort of address it from each seat I've I've been able to sit in. I think from a you know from a corporate standpoint, just morally, you, you want to do things uh, the right way. Nobody wants to be on the bad end of an accident. Nobody wants that. And, and it's and it's n- not just from a financial standpoint, but a, a moral standpoint. Um, that it's very very important as a as a board member, um, you if if your responsibility is to your shareholders, you want to make sure that the the company is being managed correctly. You know companies that are are well managed um, uh, tend to do things the right way. You know I, and and that just it's a it's a symptom of of how the company is being managed. And, and any any examples that you want to share or. Are comfortable sharing? You know, I'd say just a, a company I was involved in um, uh, from the board level and from an investment perspective was Blackbird Energy. Um, they uh, Blackbird had acreage in and around Grand Prairie, and they were uh, exceptional at working with the community. Yeah, I and remember those presentations and, yeah. and addressing industry concern or um, neighborhood concerns, <clears throat> community um, stuff. Community, yeah, community concerns. Thank you. Was looking for that word, but uh, community concerns in and around, and they were they had a they had very active dialogue with the community, and it, it absolutely um, benefited them, and it benefited the community. 
So what do we, and this is a little bit of a divergence, but I, I think it's interesting because you guys spent a lot of time investing up in Canada and you've in part of your career been up there and sat, sit on some boards of some companies up there. What do we have to learn from a U.S. perspective of maybe some of the, the things that uh, the Canadian companies are already inherently doing? They, I mean, they're having to work with First Nations or they've got, you know, not individual landowners for the most part, so mm-hmm. it's a lot of working with governments. Um, you know, I, I think I think there's a lot to be to be said of, of look, looking north to, to learn a little something for some of these guys. Yeah, and I, I think most of that we've touched on already. Yeah. I, I talk about sustainable growth, living within cash flow. I'd say, you know, uh, if we're looking, if we're talking about debt levels on an organization, uh, Canadian can, companies tend to be less levered than their U.S. counterparts, and uh, and I think that's that's effective co- uh, corporate management. Um, and then to your point about dealing with uh, regulatory bodies and and, um, and communities, I, I think they've I think they, they tend to be very active in that because they have to be. And uh, uh, but I think we've mostly touched on the things that that I would say we could we could sort of glean from yeah. from, from the people up north. So the, the um, northern people, the northern people. Yeah. <laughs> on that spectrum, though, the northern so you, friends. You know, you, yeah. yeah, exactly. You come on into you know your board meetings and 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 it's more than just you know management of GNA and compensation and you know risk. Is there you know what what's the number one thing that generally tends to float up to the top of the list uh, that you guys are addressing immediately right out of the gates, or is it dynamic quarter over quarter? Or? Yeah, it tends to be dynamic quarter over quarter, but mm-hmm. it's it, it it tends to be a lot of the, you know the same things um, operational management. Um, again, some of the things we've talked about, you know, um, uh, gene focus, management efficiency, um, the long-term plan, making sure we're living uh, or we're maintaining a strong balance sheet. Yeah, and just making sure things. you guys are doing the right things, checking off the right boxes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Okay. What's your best experience as a board member? You know, just feeling like you're a part of a team oh. and, you're, and you're seeing something built. Um, uh, I guess it's like a like a farmer, you know, uh, planting a seed and, and and being able to watch it grow and harvest it. And so, I think you know, from my perspective, it's 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 being a part of a team, and and uh, seeing something grow and develop uh, is very very rewarding. And uh, I, there was a trip I had taken up to uh, Grand Prairie to look at uh, the facilities that Blackbird had built, and uh, it was awe inspiring uh, just to see and to be a part of that that process and. Uh, it was fantastic. It was great. That's awesome. So, very cool. I, I I know. I've I've seen boards that work really really well, and I've seen boards that that are kind of struggling to to figure out you know how do they want to work with management. There's very different ideas, and I think the ones that that obviously you know we're not all here to get along. To just get along. We're gonna figure out the best ideas, and it's really that team mentality. You really start to see something pretty special uh, come out of those, and I think it becomes a really important sounding board for management to to check some of their ideas off of and say, "Hey, am I way off base here?" Um, so, very cool. Um, yeah, and I think it's effect. You know, you you want to work with your management teams. Um, there's there, you want it to be a positive working relationship. You want it to be a positive working relationship with your your fellow board members. 
it's uh, you can get a lot more done when everybody's working in the same direction. So yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I can only imagine if you have a dysfunctional board and how that's going to percolate down. Um, I mean, you know, even how long that would last, I don't even know. But I have no examples. I just. And nor do I. I've been very, very fortunate to, to be on some great boards with some great people that I've, I've been able to learn a lot from. Right on. Okay. Did uh, Did you have any other questions, Aaron? No, I, I thought that was awesome. I, I I felt like I was sitting in a board meeting a little I, bit. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> it was quick. So, no, I, I really appreciate that perspective. It was, it was really cool. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that because we're, we're heading about 40 minutes into this now, and I don't want to take up your entire afternoon, um, but I do appreciate your, your sharing with us um, specifically uh, – you know, across the spectrum, which I think is very applicable to, you know, the, the place that we, you know, the space that we occupy here. So any questions of us? No, no, it's, I thank you very much for, for inviting me. It's been a pleasure to be here and I wish you guys continued success with your, your blog platform. So, um, podcast. Do you, <laughs> yeah, let's <clears throat> podcast the oil and gas podcast. Exactly. The OG exactly. podcast. <laughs> Uh, do you care to share uh, your outlook or forecast for WTI for the remainder of 2019? You know, I think it's it's a, it's an interesting market environment that we're in right now because they're both, um, I think, fundamental uh, drivers and um, more geopolitical drivers that are out there. There's obviously a lot going on in, in Venezuela and um, with OPEC and their discipline to to help manage uh, commodity prices and and not saturate a market that's uh, being driven by um, uh, by growth in the Permian. Um, at the same time, I'd say um, demand has continued to be strong, um, and um, um, and so that's been very supportive. Um, and inventory levels have have remained healthy, and so. Um, are, and, and have remained, sorry, inventory levels have um, become more healthy as we've seen um, levels drop recently. And so, um, and so I think, you know, from, a, from an outlook perspective, I think I'm, I'm uh, fairly positive. Uh, the level we're at now seems like a fair price with what's going on, but... Uh, Give me a it, number. It's a dynamic market environment. <laughs> and I, you know, I think we're probably in a 55 to $65 price environment. So. Yeah. I wrote down your projected 65. 65. So I got 60. So, okay. I'm in the middle. <laughs> You're right in the middle. <laughs> um, okay, just one last thing before you get going. Yep. How far do the D Denver Nuggets make it into the playoffs? Do they stand a chance, Kevin? I think they do stand a chance. As a young team, I think, and I'm sorry for, for uh, our friends in Texas, I do think <laughs> they'll beat the San Antonio Spurs and move to the next level. How far they'll get behind that sort of uh, depends on a lot of different things. And so I'm a diehard Nuggets fan, and so that's uh, I'm speaking with a bias there. So, that okay. was way easier than oil price. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All, All right. right. Well, thanks. Kevin, thank you very much for being here. We do appreciate that. And, um, you know, so as we move along here, uh, upcoming for, for, uh, for the, the oil and gas podcast here, Again, uh, we talked about uh, we, we're going to have one of our next guests. This is going to be uh, Tom Chikori. He's the founder of Innovation Illustrated, LLC. Um, and we're really going to be talking about AI or artificial intelligence into the oil field. Um, and 
Anything on top of that one, Aaron? No, I'm I'm excited to to have another guest on, and and so you know, we'll keep getting expert expert opinions. Once again, thank you everyone for listening in. Uh, if you have any questions for either Aaron or myself, or or our guests uh, when we're able to pre-announce it, send an email to ogpodcast at intercominc.com and we will answer it on the next show. Thank you once again.